Hi everyone, quick announcement. It's that time of year again when I'm running one of my biannual coaching conversation projects. This is a great opportunity to get coached one-on-one -on -one by me for free. The main purpose of this project is really straightforward. The impact of a coaching conversation is best understood through the experience of it. So I give away a certain number of calls each year as kind of an open house for my business. I invite you to join me off of social media and outside the context of this one-way conversation of podcasting so that I can hear more about you. The theme of the project this fall is Seeds of Self-Trust. And from now until the end of November this year, I'm inviting 30 individuals to schedule a 90-minute coaching conversation with me as my gift to you. These calls can help you remember your abundant inner resources so that you leave with a deeper relationship to self-trust and a renewed sense of possibility. To sign up for this project, all you have to do is follow the link in the show notes, or you can go right to my website, katehawley.com links. It's that simple. I hope to see some of you in there. Welcome to the Space Beyond Scarce podcast. I'm your host, life and business coach, Kate Hawley. I work with entrepreneurs and creative change makers who value depth, impact, and purpose. Many of my clients are like me. They dream of creating prosperity through the value they provide, but they also want equity for others and sustainability for our planet. The scarcity mindset of our culture tells us that this dream isn't possible, that we are not enough, that we don't have enough, that there is not enough for everyone, and that's just the nature of reality. But really, it's just the nature of predatory capitalism. I'm glad you're here because we are going to prove that sad story false and make better meaning to build our future with. Here we go. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Space Beyond Scarce podcast. I'm here today with Lauren Roberts. Lauren is an anti-capitalist coach who helps people from messy family backgrounds take up space as community change agents. She has an online course and a community called Take Up Space. She does one-on-one -on -one consulting for entrepreneurs, local political candidates, and other folks who are making waves and living their values. She's also the co-host of all the <laughs> F in podcast. I'm not going to say the full title, but we may end up swearing today. So just heads up on that. But the full title is the full F bomb, all the F in. And that's with Tristan Katz, who you may remember has been on this podcast before. We did an awesome interview and they co-host that podcast. And it's a show where they talk about showing up for social justice values in your work and in your business. So welcome to the show, Lauren. I'm so excited to chat me with you too. today. Thank you so much for having me. I loved your episode with Tristan. And that's when I was like, oh my gosh, we have to talk because <laughs> there's so much overlap and, and values there. Yeah, I thought so too. I've been checking out, of course, your offer in preparation for this podcast. And I listened a little bit to an interview you did with your, I think, mutual friend, uh, was it? Bro Monahan. Yeah, Brooke Monahan. So I was listening to the interview you did with her and it sounded like we have a lot of overlap just in yoga background and in some of the work that we've pivoted into. And I loved seeing that you're working with political candidates or those who are kind of in that 
pathway because it's something I've thought about before. I don't have any expertise in being a political candidate, but as a potential client, I've thought about like, oh, it's, it would be so cool to be able to do mindset work and supporting potential candidates. So I love that you yeah, do that. Yeah, I have to say, I love everything I work on and not that I have favorites, but the political candidate work that I do, um, usually in a one-on-one -on -one setting, although I've done group versions of it, is really close to my heart because I spent most of my 20s working around politics. So I worked on Capitol Hill early on in my career doing policy stuff, really like nerdy, wonky <laughs> type of work and working for like U.S. senators who were mostly older white dudes, not all terrible. And then, you know, I've worked on campaigns. I worked around movement spaces. So that's a world I feel very comfortable with and well-versed in. And I also know how toxic it is and how, I mean, I pretty much got chewed up and spit out by the Democratic Party machine earlier on in my career. So being able to support folks, particularly women, non-binary people, folks who usually aren't in those spaces, but are running grassroots campaigns and really outside of the system and working for those very people-centered policies that we need I love helping them through a lot of the stuff that I encountered and helping them totally shift things and change the game for other people. So it's very gratifying. And they're also the, the people I'm currently working with, especially they're just some of the kindest souls ever. And that gives me a lot of hope for our systems, quite frankly, <laughs> you don't always find that in politics. Yeah. So, yeah, I can imagine one of my favorite movies maybe ever is probably rather obscure documentary on Netflix about Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez yes. and her campaign. Well, Have you seen, I think it's yes, called Bringing Down I the House. I connected with brand new Congress after that. And that's how I got started coaching candidates. So the group that like was one of the ones that recruited her, there were some candidates running in 2020 who I worked with one-on-one. -on -one, and that, that was kind of my entree because I emailed them after watching Bringing Down the House. Like, that is so funny because I watched that movie. Yeah. That was when I was like, oh, my God, that is the work. Because watching her yes. process, just what you have to go through mentally to play that game, to say, I'm going to show up and they're all going to tell me I have no yep. permission to be here. I have no right to be here. I have nothing important to say. And I'm going to have to stand in my power and trust myself and, and be here anyway, knowing that I'm going to face every detractor yep. in the universe, like the mindset that you have to go into that with just it blew my mind watching her do that, watching her yep. process. And it, she continues to For blow sure. my mind, of course, but like, <laughs> but it's it's so powerful. It's so important because how many voices are we missing from the conversation? Because people are scared and rightfully so because they're going to be shot down. They're going to be threatened. They're going to be told they have no right to to as your program. I love the name. Take yep. take up space. Right. So and it's so, so funny because cool. I named the program a long time ago and there's a book, I think, from The New Yorker or some, I don't know, more progressive end of the media landscape that was about AOC and it's called Taking Up Space or Take Up Space or something like that. And so I've heard that more and more on the left and I'm like, oh, maybe I was onto something and I should maybe trademark this before it goes everywhere. Yeah, I think what you're saying is so right that a lot of folks self-select out of running for office or really any kind of taking up space as community leaders. Also the same thing with entrepreneurs as I'm sure you see, like we think we don't have what it takes and so we don't even try. And it really comes down to a lot of that inner work, like self-trust and self-care and all that stuff that 
we think we know a lot about, especially if you come from wellness, but are you actually practicing it in a radical way? Do you have support to do it? Are you just putting a bandaid on it with the information you have, or are you actually investing in coaching support or a community that you're part of or whatever to actually have that transformation keep going? And, you know, I think it also comes down to like relational work. Boundaries are the biggest thing that comes up with my political clients, especially managing their team and just everybody wanting a piece of you out in the community and also having a fundraiser, so much money mindset. It's just so interesting how those two worlds overlap like so perfectly. There's a real need for that kind of support. Mm. Okay. Well, I'm excited to talk to you more about that. Let's circle back to my kind of starter question. So because this is a show that jumps off from the starting point of the scarcity mindset and kind of how is that showing up in our culture? How is it showing up in our systems? How is it showing up for us individually? And what is it doing? Mm -hmm. I always like to start by asking people, what is scarcity mindset to you when you hear that phrase? What does it mean? I mean, there's so many layers and levels to it that we could go into, but it's, it's happening both on the micro and macro level. Like we see the way that capitalism is extracting from people, from the planet, the way that we undervalue workers. And we're also seeing people push back against it with all of these union movements happening on a huge scale now. It's really, really beautiful to see a relationship with work and labor shifting. And then, you know, on the micro scale, there's just, it's kind of like what we were talking about too with the candidate coaching. Like there's this sense that we're not enough, that we don't have what it takes, that if we're struggling, there's inherently something wrong with us. And that means we tell ourselves sometimes that we don't have the power to shift things. Like there's not enough, I don't have enough resources. I don't have enough connections that not enough story that we get ingrained with from all these systems that are benefiting from us thinking that just kind of perpetuate. And then we aren't, we we feel very disempowered in it. So I don't know if that's a very articulate way of saying it, but I, I just see what's happening on the macro mirrored in the micro and vice versa. And one thing I loved, like poking around your website the other day is you talk about modeling the world that we want to live in. And so seeing things like mutual aid groups pop up, these community fridges, also the candidates I work with, entrepreneurs in the way that they're shifting the whole landscape around work, like I'm seeing it happening. I'm seeing people pushing back against scarcity mindset and capitalism. And we also just need to scale that up in a big way if we're going to you know, not go extinct, <laughs> not to get too dark. But yeah, but the stakes totally. are high right now. They really are. I know. And it's so it's so hard because I think part of my commitment to this is I do think that we have a choice to live from scarcity mindset and the belief in it or not. However, I also think if we continue to live in this way that we are, which is driven by scarcity capitalism, we will end up with very serious life-threatening scarcity yeah. that we can't get out of and we're not there yet and that's i guess for me there's an urgency to it and it's not a scarcity urgency but it is a sense of like we have an opportunity here to turn the ship around before we have so much climate collapse that we really can't feed people we really won't have water to drink we really won't have enough habitable land for the people who exist on the planet and we're already seeing that, of course, in certain right. areas, but it doesn't have to be that way. We're, we ha- we still can turn things Absolutely. around. So. And, you know, Michelle Cassandra Johnson is my, one of my mentors. I've learned a lot about, like, facilitating or I should say co-facilitating anti-racism work from her and skill in action and bridging yoga and justice work. And she had a post recently that really stopped me in my tracks that said, 
you know, we need hospice care for the earth at this point. Like it really is a harm reduction strategy. And that doesn't mean that I'm not optimistic about our ability as communities to organize and change things. And it means like, in some ways we are past a point of no return with anything ever going back to the same level of life sustenance that we had on earth before. So we really have to change the way that we are operating in order for things not to get worse. So I'm very careful about the way I share that because I never want that to, is it unmotivate, demotivate, whatever the opposite of motivate is, people from, you know, doing whatever their role is in this big shift that we need. It's, yeah, I'm also realistic about what's going on at the same time. Um, I think a lot about Joanna Macy's work and Active Hope and this great turning and, and a lot of systems are crumbling, but it's also allowing space for new ones to emerge. I wanted to ask you about, since you frame your work around being an anti-capitalist coach, so I want to talk a little bit about that because I think that that's a phrase that I've seen emerging more and more, and I totally mm -hmm. get it. I totally resonate with it. Even just honing in on the word anti-capitalist, what does that word mm -hmm. mean to you and, and why did you decide to use it well, in your work? Well, I realized that by not naming my values very, very clearly, I was missing an opportunity to connect with people who would identify as anti-capitalist or people who are anti-capitalist curious, but don't fully understand what it means for them yet. I like the definitions. I mean, there's so many out there, depending on who you ask. Um, I'll tell you what it's not. It's not anti-money. It's not anti-business. I run a business. I think we can all grow our income and leverage that to dismantle a lot of the systems that aren't working and create new ones. But it does center people over profit. It means we're not extracting from workers. We're not hoarding our wealth just for the sake of having more wealth and keeping power in the hands of the few at the expense of the many. It's creating a new relationship to things like time, going back to scarcity, right? Like that there is enough time. We don't have to work additional hours to make additional money. It, it's like a total revolution in the way that we even relate to labor and work and earning money. So it's putting people at the center while being at the center, our planet at the center too, over just wealth and hoarding and all of those things that are kind of killing everybody. So then could you talk a little bit about if it's anti-capitalist, then what is it? What is the vision that you're in favor yeah, of it's there? It's pro-liberation. And, you know, I struggle sometimes with being anti-something because I think in a lot of ways, and you know from doing mindset work, it's more motivating for a lot of folks to be more pro-something. And I think that my role in social change making is a little bit more toward the side of like, what are we tearing down? There are also people doing the work of what are we creating? And I'm here for that too. But I also, I think so much of my work is helping people unpack and dismantle how those systems are playing out in their own minds and their own bodies and their own lives. Because until that's happening, mm -hmm. it's very difficult to learn something new. Because, you know, from I'll speak for myself, it took me 34 years of indoctrination <laughs> into capitalism and white supremacy and patriarchy to get to a belief system that maybe I struggle with and that we're all traumatized by. And so, and then at the same time, those are continuously working on me every single day with the media that I take in, with the tools I have to use for my business. And so working against that at all times is really a practice. That's what I love teaching people and working with them on. And, and once there's that breathing room, even if that work is ongoing, that's when like the building can happen. So 
in terms of like a change framework, I've heard about build block B from Katie Long with she's in the Buddhist community. And I can't remember the name of the organization she's with, but we need people to do each of them. We need people to be just being right, like centering, grounding, well-being. We need people to be building something new and we need people to shut down what's not working. And all three matter. Yeah. If that makes sense. So yeah. It totally makes sense. I love that way of thinking about it. And I think, yeah, that sometimes if you're in a if you were in like an abusive relationship, for example, or you know, something where you're being abused every day, you would have to get out of that environment, out of that situation, do mm-hmm. some healing to even think about, okay, now yes. what do I want? Now what comes next? And so it makes sense that if we're locked into a system that's abusive, that is, you know, really conditioning us to believe that there's nothing else possible for us and that it's, you know, like all of the things that happen there. It makes sense to me that it's really important to actually hold up a right. just a boundary. And there's actually the work. It sounds like the work you're doing is saying, nope, we're just going to hold a boundary right now. I don't know what comes next, but I know it's not yes. that. So let's just build that. Well, and resistance. I think what comes next, though, is very clearly like liberation. It's getting everybody free because it's all bound up in each other's well-being and freedom. It's it's true justice. And those things are happening again on that micro scale. We're seeing it implemented even in policies in some places and to a degree at the federal level, though not quite as much. And so when we're having conversations um, about where we're going, I think you have a good point with that abusive relationship parallel. Like if I learned anything from my trauma support specialist certification training, it's like you can't start digging into stuff and agitating and bringing things up for people to heal until things are stabilized and they're safe. That safety has to happen first, whether it's with a therapist or support in another way before the healing can happen. Like you have to stop the harm (laughs) as much as you possibly can before Mm -hmm. growth and healing can take place. Yeah. Yeah, totally. This is actually a great segue into something else I wanted to ask you about. So for many years, I have had lots and lots and lots of feelings about Mm -hmm. money mindset work, and I (laughs) have not owned it as part of my work because I, for all the reasons that one is like, oh, do I want to go there? And because, you know, I'm not like a financial expert. I don't have, that's not where I'm coming to this from. But I finally recently have been like, okay, I'm going to start talking more about money mindset work because it's really what a lot of people think of when they think of scarcity mindset. They already assume I'm talking about money. (laughs) So I'm like, okay, it needs to be talked about. I'm actually working on, you know, some some stuff I'm going to offer around that. And I know that that's part of what you do as well. And so- I think one of the, we could call it contradictions or challenges I come up against is I know that there's a certain amount of financial instability that is just kind of devastating to live with. And there's no mindset yeah. that can, <laughs> it's it's at a certain level. Like I hear the, the critique that's like, we just need to give people resources. We don't need them yep. to change their mindset. We need them yep. to get resources. And that at the same time, I also see that people who have resources and are stable still are suffering deeply with their relationship to money. Yep. And I don't believe that we can heal our economy and heal our macro relationship to money if we are not doing any of that work on the micro level. Mm-hmm. So I would love to hear a little bit more about how you ended up doing some of that work and maybe any insights you could share around this issue since you kind of work at that same intersection. I also, similar to you, struggled with like, is this a space I can take up? There's so much icky money mindset out there that kind of ignores the fact that oppression exists and that we have 
enormous inequality in our current system and that it's baked into how the system works. And I will never tell somebody who is more marginalized than me that they just need to fix their mindset in order to like make more money. What's also true, because like you said, there's a contradiction here. But what I've learned from Michelle's work with skill and action is multiple things can be true at the same time. So while it's true that oppression exists, and I'll take it on a level of just my gender, because I'm a white cis woman, I have a shitload of privilege. My parents paid for my college. I don't have student loans. And I'm oppressed on the basis of my gender as a woman. So I was under earning compared to my male colleagues on the Hill who weren't doing nearly the level of work I was doing. And some of why I never addressed it was because of my money mindset. Granted, that was like a very low paying job, no matter what I would have done. But that set me up so that when I was in an abusive relationship in my late 20s, up until about 30 when I left, that meant I actually didn't have the savings to fall back on. I was financially dependent on that partner in New York City. As a trauma survivor who was already in recovery for PTSD stuff, it was very difficult for me to look for jobs. And so like, yes, oppression was going on and agitating a lot, and it was kind of feeding the mindset stuff that was already working against me, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I'm very big on like, what's in my control, what's not. What's not in my control is that there are currently shitty policies and shitty pieces of our culture in place. I also realized I'm swearing a whole lot. So <laughs> that's okay. Do it. We've already, we've already given the warning. Okay, We're good. Cool. I was like, <laughs> explicit button on. Um, so yeah, there are these policies and like our culture at work against us in many ways. And what I see, unfortunately, a lot of times is sometimes for myself and other folks, like we just kind of give up because that's happening instead of looking at what is in my control, which is I can, if I'm an entrepreneur, restructure my offerings so that I'm not working hourly. I can work on a project basis. A lot of folks, especially people who aren't cis white dudes, are undercharging like wild for their work. I worked with a client yesterday yeah. and we got, I was like, so when you asked for this 10K contract, did they say yes right away? And they're like, yeah. I'm like, okay, then you need to ask for more next time. <laughs> like you need to renegotiate. <laughs> um, you know, we're, we struggle with our boundaries. We overwork, we over deliver while we're being underpaid. Like those are things within our control that mindset work can help with. And at the same time, once we're building our income and working on those things that actually makes us more powerful to work against the systems that are keeping so many people impoverished basically and without any agency and so especially because i have privilege i feel a huge responsibility just like as a white person i'm responsible for dismantling white supremacy because i have access to resources that a lot of other people don't it's my responsibility to leverage them as much as i can if i'm under earning i'm not able to donate to mutual aid at the level that i want to i'm not able to take care of myself and stay in um, I, I'm sober. I, you know, it's harder for me to stay sober if I'm struggling financially. It's harder for me to stay in my trauma recovery if I'm struggling. I'm not able to show up for my clients who I really believe in. There's a question that I've had for years now, and I'm always exploring it with people who see this intersection. So I want to, mm -hmm. I want to pose it to you. So when I first sort of walked into, literally walked into a room where people were doing money mindset work, and I'd never encountered that before, and it was really not my comfort zone, and there was a lot of resistance in me because I was coming from a pretty anti-capitalist background and thinking, oh my gosh, you're just here talking about all the millions you want to make mm -hmm. and all the things you want, the lavish lifestyle you want for yourself. And there was some talk about like, well, but there's also going to be, you know, when you have more, you can give more back like, and you could donate, start a philanthropic. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, totally. And and so yeah. I, yeah, so I, I had a bit of resistance 
through the whole thing, but I also learned so much and it was so helpful to me. So it was the, it was the multiple things at the same time. Like the whole time I was like, this is blowing my mind and it's really helping me. And it's not speaking to some of the things that I need to know the answers to. And so the question that has stuck with me, like my, my partner is similar to probably my (laughs) upbringing, which is very critical of people who have wealth oftentimes makes these comments. And when I went through this money mindset work, I started saying to him, you know, I may need for you to stop like just being so judgmental against people who have money. Cause I think that I'm having a hard time feeling safe uh, Mm -hmm. considering that I could have money. And I also asked him, can you give me a number? Like, If there's something unethical about having a lot of wealth, then where does it cross the line? Mm-hmm. What is the amount that we can want for ourselves and feel like, yep, that's an ethical amount for me to want for myself? Mm-hmm. And where does it start to turn into an amount that could actually be in some way negatively impacting other people? Mm-hmm. Now, I know that when you ask this question, it brings up like, wow, we're talking about these kind of interwoven systems of every kind of thing, and there isn't one answer to that. Mm-hmm. But it's still something I think about all the time. And so I wanted to pose it to you. Is that something you think about? Is that something that you have kind of resolved for in the money mindset work that you do as an anti-capitalist coach? Mm. Um, In terms of resolution, I don't know that there's ever a point in anti-capitalism work similar to anti-racism work where you reach like an answer. So I think for my whole life, and I would imagine for a lot of folks, we'll always be exploring that. And of course, like depending on the context, that number in terms of ethics will change. And and I also wonder, like drawing that line of this is too much for it to be ethical. And I don't know is actually helpful for what you're getting at, which is how can I be a good person who also has money? And and that's really tricky because we live in this culture that like mind fucks us with money is the root of all evil. Also, let's let's have this like celebrity worship culture and buy all these expensive products from Kim Kardashian. Um, you know, so it, it's it's complicated is, is the answer I would give. I think for myself, what I'm learning to do is I try to give every dollar a job that I currently have, but also like what is my budget look like when I'm able to pay for my niece to go to college if I wanted to do that, um, to adopt X many more dogs, because <laughs> my husband and I are planning to have children, to have a home with an office so that I have privacy when I take calls, and, and getting clear on what that number actually is. And that will also make us self-sustaining so that you know mutual aid and other systems like that can go toward people who need it most. So with that number in mind, that's what I work from and am working toward rather than like, what is a general number in this current economy with inflation calculated perfectly to a dollar amount that's ethical versus unethical? I will say there's nothing ethical about billionaires existing while people are starving. Like that that just makes zero sense to me. I think there's nothing ethical about people hoarding wealth when our neighbors don't have houses. There's definitely that nuance, but I also try not to think, going back to scarcity mindset of like if I earn this money that's inherently taking it away from somebody else. There are situations, yes, maybe it's between me and another coach that someone's going to hire and it's like a literal, you know, A or B. Yeah. Um, And if someone is more well-suited or is more marginalized than me, they should take that opportunity. But usually that's not really what we're dealing with. Um, it's, It's a similar mindset to like, well, if I you know, skip dinner, that food is going to go to somebody else who needs it like that. Usually it's, it's not a straight line like that. 
Yeah. And I mean, it's just a fascinating conversation to me. I love, you know, I think everything you said is right. And that's also something I have found so useful mm -hmm. is rather than thinking in theoretical moral terms, yes. if you just get really clear on, well, this is actually the amount of money it would cost for me to blank, right? For me to have adequate self-care, for me to mm -hmm. have a retirement security, yes. for me to, yeah, send my kids to college, whatever that might look like. So I think that's also, that is really helpful. Like some people are happy with their 50, 60K and they have what they need and they don't want more. That number is different for everybody. Also, the the desire is going to look different. And I'm all for celebrating, you know, people growing their capacity to let themselves enjoy life. You know, there's that quote, I think it's um, Toy Derricot, like joy is an act of resistance, right? Like we, we've heard that for so long, rest is radical. I think what you're saying is, is right. Like if we're only celebrating wealth and not talking about how to break down barriers so everybody can have access to that joy and rest and the things that we just are inherently worthy of as human beings, then what's the point of being wealthy? If it's only for you, that's where I start to feel a little icky about it. And a lot of the folks I work with and for myself too, it, there's so much unlearning that has to happen around like, I deserve, period. <laughs> like I deserve therapy. Right. I deserve health insurance. I, you know, basic stuff yeah. it's really pushing back on what we've been indoctrinated with which is i'm just here to be of service and like a good person and not make any money i don't want to take up any space <laughs> right so it's mm -hmm. ugh, it's a mess it's yeah it's such a mess it's so tricky and i appreciate you engaging in that the messiness of this conversation because mm -hmm. yeah there's so many unasked questions right. and i see that it's a bit of like are people just afraid to talk about this or, you know, yeah. so, and at the same time, I, my experience has been through the clients I've worked with that actually the people who worry the most about this stuff are people who are still struggling to basically meet their basic expenses. And so actually like a lot of that sort of value centered, heart centered, visionary entrepreneur mm -hmm. types who are really worried about this problem, probably don't need to worry about this problem, be, yeah. at least for a long, long while. Yes. My business coach, Lena West, who I, I recently started working with, she's like, unless you're Jeff Bezos, you all in this group, and it's mostly women, I think we're all cis women. She's like, you all don't need to be worried about extracting from people. Like you're not, you have integrity. You wouldn't be here if you didn't. And also frankly, kind of like narcissists, like if you're asking if you're a narcissist, you're probably not one because they don't even yeah. consider what they're doing to people. Like if you're worried about being extractive and unethical in your business, yes, there are some basic things not to do and some basic things to do. Like don't lie to people, don't steal. But if you're worried about it, you're probably fine. Yeah. <laughs> like most likely you're, you're doing your best. I think that that is right. And I also think that there are some places where we don't see clearly when we come from a place of privilege. And that seems like that's been yes. made really clear to a lot of people in the last few years. Like you may be very well yeah. intentioned, but that doesn't mean you can really understand the role you play in the, what you're holding up and what you're not holding up through the privilege lens that you have yep. and through the entitlements that you were raised with. And so I do think there's right. some places where, like one example is I have seen through just the online entrepreneurial community in my like local community. I remember a few years back, there was a big debate about the minimum wage increase that was being proposed. And, it, you know, it was probably something like 
Yeah, up to $15 an hour. And I live in a major metropolitan area that is very expensive. So that's not even a living wage here. But it was very controversial. And there was a lot of these small business owners who were saying on this community saying, well, I can't afford to pay that. And you know, the people who work for me don't even need that money. It's like housewives who want extra spending money and high school kids. And they had all these defenses for why the people who work for them don't need to make a living wage. And so they're not going to support a living wage increase on the state level or on the local level. So that was really frustrating to me because it feels like um, actually I do think there are people in the room who need to, <laughs> They like I think that even the, the little guys like us, we need to understand what is it that we should be believing in on behalf of everybody, not just on behalf of ourselves? Because I don't think we're taught to think that way. We're no. not taught to think I should vote on behalf of what would serve the most vulnerable people in my community, not yeah. on what would serve me personally. I'm with you on that. And I appreciate you saying that because it's making me realize I need to clarify, like the group I was talking about where my coach said, you all don't need to worry so much about being extractive. That's a very specific group of people who work with this coach because of her values around justice and equity and all of those things. If we're mm-hmm. talking about entrepreneurs in general, there's a lot of problematic stuff like what you're talking about. I used to teach yoga for this local business in Indianapolis and they were like, well, if we're ever required to provide health insurance, we'll go out of business. And I'm just like, yeah, but that's not the problem. The problem is that it's so expensive to run a small business and it's expensive to have contractors instead of employees. Like, why don't we think about the systems that are in place that are making it hard for you to run your business? I think a lot of times folks who are resistant there, and while I understand where it's coming from, they're not zooming out and seeing that, for instance, the union's not the problem. It's Mm-hmm. The structure that makes the union have to hold this hard line, otherwise people lose their jobs. It's like we get focused on individual solutions to collective problems where if we were instead organizing together and realizing that our, mm-hmm. our liberation is bound and we have a <laughs> shared interest, that would really change the policies that are actually in the way. Ugh. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Well, and I also always say to people like... <laughs> You know, you're not entitled to have a business. Like, if you don't have a business model that can afford to pay people a basic living wage, then, you know, you may not be ready to have employees if you can't pay your employees a living wage. And I'm all about, like, I think, you know, getting to have a business is really important. And I do understand that, yeah, you may have to start out paying less than you ultimately want to. You may have to work your way up to it. And you may have to have really clear agreements with the people you hire about, you know, Mm -hmm. what they want and what they need and how you're going to get that. But yeah, so I do think there's a lot to unpack there, but it is funny to me how people think, oh, yeah, well, it's okay for me to oppose a policy that would actually be so important for everyone in the state because I personally would be inconvenienced by it or it wouldn't work for my business model. Right. Yeah. Because there are going back to what I was saying earlier, there's not just one way to do things. Like I wonder about those folks, like, do they have certain clients who could be paying more, but they're not charging them more in order to offset some of those costs? Are there areas where their, yeah, their business model is not set up to really, I'm sorry, you don't have a sustainable business model if the people working for you can't afford to live. If you can't pay a living right. wage, regardless of if that person quote unquote needs it, then you don't have a sustainable business model because that's not the direction we're moving in collectively. It is something that I've been thinking about a lot since this whole, you know, inflation crisis or what have you is, you know, the thing is everything was already way too cheap. Everything has been artificially cheap for way too long. Right. 
And we are not seeing all of the hidden costs of those cheap goods and services and gasoline and everything else that we've had access to. And while I totally appreciate that inflation causes real problems for mm -hmm. the people who can least afford it, it's an important conversation to have that like, yeah, it was always too cheap. Like in, coming from the yoga industry, that's something I learned mm -hmm. after a long time of shifting from being like a broke yoga teacher who was like, well, I can't even afford to pay for yoga classes. I get them for free because I'm a yoga right. teacher to being someone whose job it was to price yoga classes. And mm -hmm. when I shifted responsibilities in that way, it was so hard for me to reconcile that. And I also started meeting other small business owners and realizing that people who had looked from the outside like they were really successful were also barely making ends meet right. because they also felt scared to charge what they actually needed to charge to have a sustainable, thriving business. And so yep. it really flipped my understanding of like, actually, we should be charging more than this. You know, I started teaching yoga in the year 2003, maybe. And the prices of those classes never went up for like the 20 years that I was teaching. They barely went up. They were like eked up maybe a couple dollars. Meanwhile, the pay for yoga teachers actually dropped. Like I saw studios I had worked at in the early 2000s were paying less in like 2015, you know, so Gross. it's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm with you on the whole things have been artificially cheap for a long time. And so as we're adjusting to paying, you know, real prices for things, which hopefully over time is valuing the laborers, as we adjust to that, I keep going back to policy. What are the policies we can put in place or the structures and systems we can work with that offset those costs for the people who really need that support? And how are we adjusting our business models when we have the privilege to do that? How are we leveraging the resources we have to help other people? Like, it, it's just not, it's not this either or thing. And I think when we get caught up in that from either end of the, either viewpoint, whether you believe in capitalism or firmly are anti-capitalist, like if you get caught up in like, this is the only reality, there's no, change that's possible. Maybe this is why I, as a business owner and someone who works with business owners, I think part of the reason I ask this question about, maybe it, the question is what is enough financially, mm -hmm. but it's also what is too much. And I think mm -hmm. what we see happening right now, obviously there's lots and lots of factors that are creating inflation, but one of the factors straight up is that CEOs are taking home bigger paychecks. Yep. They're having, they're using this as an opportunity to say, cool, I'm going to blame that I have to pay higher wages to people because it's harder to find workers right now. Mm -hmm. I'm going to blame that on this while I personally take a bigger cut. And I think there's a huge question there of like, actually, there you don't need to raise your prices at all. No. Just take home a smaller paycheck for the highest paid people in this company and you'll still be fine. Right. Because their paychecks, I mean, we're talking tens of millions of dollars and that's sometimes yeah. just the base pay. We're not even talking about bonuses. I mean, this was a big discussion point when I was first interning on the Hill around like CEO pay in general, like what is okay, what's not, especially when your workers can't make ends meet. Like part of why Walmart does so well is because a lot of their folks are on, it's not food stamps anymore, uh, SNAP benefits, right? So like we're already subsidizing these companies wealth. Like it, it makes zero sense mm -hmm. um, why our tax structure is the way it is, why the pay structure is allowed to be the way it is in, in, in businesses. And, you know, I also think too about companies like Starbucks and Amazon that have invested a lot of money in union busting. Like, why can't you just pay workers more instead of spending all this money on yeah. consultants to make fake Twitter it's, accounts? I mean, it's so totally. stupid. 
It's horrible. Yeah. It's really, really sickening. And that's the thing, too. I think if we circle back to these small business owners that yeah. you and I both get in rooms with, it's like, okay, if you really need to know, just promise me you'll never pay a dime for union busting. <laughs> promise me you'll never oppose like right. decent living wages for the people who work for you. Promise right. me that like that, you know what I mean? And I think that's actually, and maybe there does need to be a promise around that because I do mm. see how when people move up in the world, there is something that happens, right? I'm not going to say, I'm not trying to say like money is so corrupting and it'll make everyone right. evil, but I, I don't totally buy the, the one of the money mindset reframes that I've heard is like, well, when good people have more money, money is an amplifier. They'll just do good things with money. And I really question that because I think, mm, I think, I don't think money is just an amplifier of your baseline good or badness. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I, I think money is something that it really does draw us in to certain ways of thinking and certain temptations. And we can start to feel like, oh, well, my responsibility now is for the profits of this company, right? But that's mm -hmm. the role you can start to feel like you're in. And the more your company grows, the more you can say, well, it's complicated up here. I've got this many things going on. I don't think it's a bad idea to have certain boundaries in place before you have a lot of money to say, if and when I get the amount of money that I actually want to be working with, mm -hmm. here are the boundaries that I'm making a commitment to from the perspective I have right now. Because <laughs> you, because yeah. people do get out of touch. I mean, I wonder if you've seen that from working with higher level politicians, right? That I think mm -hmm. this is one of the big complaints leveraged at a lot of people who work in Washington, DC is like that mm -hmm. they have so much financial privilege, they actually have no concept mm -hmm. of what it feels like to be an everyday American. Yeah, even some of the most progressive folks don't. And the most recent senator I worked for is Richard Blumenthal from Connecticut. He was the state attorney general. He was a prosecutor for a long time very much like into consumer protections, abortion rights, like really good stuff. And he's married to a very wealthy woman. So I don't think in his case, that's influenced maybe policies, although it's been a while since I followed his work closely. But then I do see others who maybe run on a certain platform. If you look at like the Obama campaigns versus the Obama administration, and what was actually implemented, that's a good way of seeing like how once they got into power, the systems kind of worked on them. And I, you know, I, I've actually said before the whole money is an amplifier thing, because I, I think that's another multiple truth thing where there is truth in that. But I, what your question is, and what, what you just said is kind of showing me is I need to bring more nuance to that. Like there's always these shades of gray where, like you said, you can get drawn in and kind of focused just on the money. It becomes all about the money. And, mm -hmm. and how to protect it and hoard that wealth. And I think that comes back to like, who are you surrounding yourself with? Are you clear on your values as you go? Do you have accountability built in? Because I think the amplifier thing is only true if you're constantly being supported by and accountable to a community that has these anti-capitalist values. Because the rooms you're going to be in are going to start to look different the more money and access you have. And so if you want to be mm -hmm. somebody who your anti-capitalist values are amplified by the wealth that you build and the income you grow, you have to stay accountable to those because those systems are still going to be working on you and the people around you. Totally. Well, thank you for going into this nuance with yeah, me. I don't, you. you know, I was excited because I was like, I don't often get to talk to people who think about that intersection and the yeah. nuance that lives there. I know we have to wrap up. Yeah. So I wanted to just ask, is there anything you wanted to share with us about your work or what you're working on right now that that you'd like people to yeah. know about well i would invite anyone who's resonating with what we've talked about whether it's the money stuff or just this 
perspective on mindset work, you can book a call with me. I don't know if I shared with you the free 30 minute call link, but it's basically just to feel out if support from me would be helpful. And I have a few different ways of doing that. I do have one-on-one -on -one offers that are either a half day or full day intensive. Like if you really want to get going on your business or really dig into mindset work for fundraising for your campaign, like people who are kind of taking action on those bigger scales. I also have my container take up space. So it's a course and a community. There's a bunch of self-paced like video content that moves through the inner relational and then more collective community level work that you really need to sustain yourself as a community change agent. So if you're curious about any of those, a call is the best place to start because not everyone knows exactly where they want to go. We'll make sure to include that in the show notes. Is there anything that I did not ask you about today that you wanted to get to before we close today? I don't think so. I mean, aside from just to underscore, you know, you don't need to improve yourself or focus on fixing yourself and getting everything perfect before you show up the way you want to and make change. Like I think when we get out of our own ways, a lot's possible. Not that that's the only thing that has to happen. We need to do it for each other too, but you already have what it takes yeah. to be a change agent. Maybe you just need a little support doing it. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Lauren. It was great to chat with thank you today you. and this was get so to know fun. your work. Yeah. Same here. Thanks, Kate. Thanks for listening to today's episode of The Space Beyond Scarce. If you enjoyed this episode, please go over to Apple iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts and leave us a five-star rating and review. It really helps out a new podcaster. Thank you.